No, just kidding. <laughs> oh man, um, it's Shark Week, I think, I believe, and I thought that would just be funny, but also just to share with all of you the torment I've been enduring in my house <laughs> day in and day out. <laughs> um, good morning and happy Sunday. I want to welcome you here and online. Thank you so much for being here um, at the Grace Place. We just want you to feel welcome and feel home. And uh, Though some of you may know who I am, some of you may not. I'm Amanda Canary. I'm usually here doing worship, but um, I get the privilege this Sunday to speak to you. Woo. <laughs> They let me back up here again. It's all good. This is my fourth time. I'm not even scared. I'm super scared. I don't want to be up here. <laughs> Somebody was saying, you should just turn it into a song. And I'm like, that's a great idea because it probably would have been easier to speak the word of God through a song for me personally <laughs> than it is to get up here. Um, I get so worried. You know, every time I, I go to prepare a message, I'm reminded how hard this is, the stress. Um, the time, the work of just doing research and not wanting to mess up God's word. So um, I just did a lot of prayer this week <laughs> with God and asked him, Lord, help me. These are your words. They're not mine. And help me to just speak with the authority and to be obedient to you because I'm here, God. I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. And so um, let's just jump right in. Uh, I want to start off lighthearted with the baby shark song because, again, for those of you who may not know, I have two babies. Um, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, Eleanor, and I have a 10-month-old. And um, life has just been really good. Being a mom has, has changed my entire life. Uh, <laughs> it means that we get home by 8 p.m. or before 8 p.m. because the two-year-old has to go to bed or she's like a nightmare and we're up all night. Um, <laughs> it's been it's been pretty bad but if we because she has school so we get her in bed at 8 and as we have this whole nighttime routine we go through we do it every night and as I go to like lay her down the last few nights um, there's about four songs that live rent-free in my daughter's head and one of them is Baby Shark and so as we're laying down and I'm like, okay, it's time to go to bed, baby. Um, you know, I'm tucking her in. She's baby shark to do to do to do, baby shark to do to do to do, mommy shark to do to and just going as fast as you can, <laughs> over and over again. And <laughs> so now you guys can laugh at my pain, but now you got it stuck in your head too. So, ha ha. <laughs> but I know that this season that I have with her being this little is just really short. Ooh, I don't want to get emotional, but, um, <laughs> and one day she'll be older and she'll be off on her own wishing, uh, and I'll, I'll just be at home wishing for more nights of Baby Shark and, and wishing that she was here singing it, but in, um, instead of rushing out, it's, again, like I said, it's changed my priorities um, being a mom, so instead of rushing out, I will lay down in bed with her and I'll sing the song with her, and we sing it maybe 20 times, but um, I love her so much that I just want to sing it over and over again just so I can be with her. Being a mom, that's changed me. And when I see other moms struggling or I see somebody else in pain, I hurt. I hurt so differently. And I just want to hug them. I just want to, like, give them a cookie. I want to do something to fix the issue. <laughs> um, and the... The day I kind of realized that I had changed so much was back in 2021. I had been through a lot through 2020, as we all had. Personally, a lot had just happened that I just felt like I was really struggling with the Lord and um, just 
finding this new relationship with him and balancing, you know, being a mom, working, losing friendships, um, but gaining deeper ones and gaining a deeper walk with him. But again, back in 2021, we're in like time of healing. People wouldn't say that, but I'm like, it's time of healing. We're at district council. And um, I was in this class and it's kind of not even <laughs> a class I was supposed to be in. We didn't really have a plan. We were just like, we're going to council, like, let's do it, you know? <laughs> and um, they, I had a friend who I'd met months before and she's like, oh, I'm going into this one. I know the speaker. And I said, oh, cool, I'll just go in with you. And I sat down and it's, that's how it works. That's how God works. He speaks to you because you're not looking to be spoken to. And um, her message was about reaching the next generation. And she's like, not just your kids. I'm talking about challenging you not to write off that young person in your life um, who needs to hear about Jesus, who needs for you to have time and grace for them to do what Jesus has called you to do, to walk alongside them through their failures and their triumphs, to pray for them to challenge them and to, you know, really grow them to know who God is and to know the, the persistence of God and that he doesn't give up on us. And she said, and you already know who that person is. And, and I did. I knew exactly who that person was. I had been struggling with this person in my life that had really hurt me. <laughs> and they had really let me down. And I was at this crossroads, like I was like, you know, I'd been counseled by a lot of people, like you need to just walk away. It's just not healthy for you. Um, and, and just listening to the part of my head that was like, that's painful, like let's not do that anymore. But I really felt God speaking to me and he said, but what if that was Eleanor? He said, what if that's Eleanor? What if she's walking? in another church somewhere, someplace beside you, and she's struggling, and she can't reach out to you. you. What if you're not there? What if it's somebody else? Would somebody else see my daughter as a burden, or would they reach out to her? Would they show her that God's love is persistent, that it's never failing, it never gives up time and time again, that he loves her, even though um, it's hard to love ourselves? Would there be somebody that would see that that she's not too much work. And it just kind of broke me, you know, <laughs> in a new way. And I knew in that moment that if I loved my daughter, if I loved myself, I needed to start doing what God had commanded me to do. And that was to love my neighbor as myself. So if you haven't guessed, we're talking about the Good Samaritan. <laughs> um, and it's the parable, speak, that's the parable we're speaking on today. As, so let's open up our word. Um, it's in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 10 verse 25 through 37. And I chose to go a little bit back um, before the story because I feel like this is very important because it talks about the most important commandments. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up and tested Jesus by asking him the question, teacher, what do I do to, what should I do to inherit the eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothing, beat him, and left him dead on the side of the road. 
By chance, a priest came along, but he, when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant uh, walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed to the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan uh, soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him into the, to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. Uh, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three men would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So thank you for standing for the word of God. Um, you can be seated. Uh, the parable started out with a question by a scribe or a lawyer. So if you don't know what that is, a little background information. I had to look it up too. Uh, <laughs> is uh, basically an expert of the laws of God. He writes the laws and um, you know keeps them being passed on. Um, and so when he was asking this question, he was kind of looking for a loophole, a way to test God's word, to justify, like it said, justify his own behaviors. So before Jesus, many people who take the, uh, they would take the commandments at face value. And Jesus challenged our thinking of this many times. In John 3, 15 through 17, it says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life. Uh, within them. So as you can imagine that they were taking this commandment, love your neighbor as thyself, super literally. Like they were like, oh yeah, I love my neighbor. The person next to me that lives, you know, the next house down, I'm never mean to them. But they weren't seeing that this had a deeper meaning. This That it's literally every person <laughs> that is around you. So the question is, that started this was, how do I inherit eternal life? Again, the man is a scribe, and he knows precisely what the law says. So Jesus points him back to the commandments, asking, what does the commandment say, and how do you read them? And the man asked, um, the man answered, and he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as thyself. Then to clear up any confusion about what you must do, Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the parable, let's dissect it a little bit because we always need a little bit of context. Who is the Samaritan? Um, the Samaritan is a half uh, Gentile, half Jew. So uh, this is just kind of important to know that the Jews and the Samaritans, they just did not get along. There was a lot of reasons, but uh, what we need to know is that they shared a mutual hate of each other just because how they treated each other. Both Samaritan and Jews despised each other. And when I say they didn't get along, they were really taught and bred to hate each other. It was just an ongoing feud. Also, when the Jews uh, were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans would do really mean things, like they would pour blood, like pig's blood. <laughs> if you're familiar with Jewish culture, Jews saw pig's blood as unclean, mostly all pigs as unclean. And so in turn, this made them see the Samaritans as unclean because they were doing things just to... Um, really hurt the, the Jewish temple like to stop it from being built. So basically, they hated one another. 
that there, if there was anybody that they like were like, hey, you have to hate this person, that was it. They hated each other. It was never seen somebody doing something nice for the other. So they had absolutely no reason to do anything kind or loving towards the other. When the parable begins, Jesus gives us a few details about the traveler. Obviously, he's a Jewish man, and he was traveling between two cities, Jerusalem and Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, and he'd been beaten, bloody, and robbed, and left on the side of the road. This information is important because the first person to walk past the man is a Jewish priest. The priest, a man of God who knows the commandments, sees the man lying on the ground, covered in blood and helpless, and walks to the other side of the road. He walks past him, and he moves, again, it, it says he walked to the other side. So it's very clear. It's like he's avoiding him. You know, It's like when you see that person in high school at the grocery store, and you're like, nope, <laughs> not today, <laughs> not memory lane. <laughs> you don't know me anymore. <laughs> Um, so he, <laughs> he was personally trying to avoid this man, um, and he wanted nothing to do with him. The next person is a Levite, again, another expert of God's words. He knows the laws. He knows the commandments. He sees the man, and he does the same thing, walks to the other side of the road, like, mm -mm, I don't know. I didn't see that. That didn't happen. You know, if I didn't see it, it didn't happen. Both of these men um, see this Jewish man. And they make a conscious choice to avoid him. That's right. They just outright avoid him. So what does this tell us about these two men? Well, first, they were selfish. <laughs> and they did not live out. The second thing is that they did not live out the word of God. And three, they put the practices that man had made above the word of God. So first, they were selfish. <laughs> The commandment says to first we must love the Lord with all of our heart, our minds, our strength, and our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourself. They were selfish because they did not have compassion for this man. And having compassion means that it literally means to suffer together. They saw this man and they did not have any compassion. They walked past him they made, and they made a conscious choice to avoid him. They could not see past their own selfish reasons and their own self to stop and do something to help this man. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe they were getting ready for, you know, obviously the priest, he's probably getting ready to go to the temple. There, there's a cleaning process that each priest would do. So that's when I said they would put practices of man above the word of God. So they... You know, he probably had a ritual he did that he would, you know, get clean, he'd get purified before he'd go into the temple. So touching the man, bloody, would disrupt that. And he was probably like, oh, if I touch him, I'll just get dirty, and then I have to do this all over again. You know, back, uh, the back history of the priests is they would, like I said, they would do that cleansing um, before entering the temple. And so he was probably on his way. But in Mark, Jesus calls this out. He said, um, on one day, the... Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law arrived in Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of the disciples had failed to um, failed the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands and required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. So they had these traditions that they would, you know, be clean before they could touch and do anything. 
Um, but this is one, this is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow old age traditions? They eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he um, prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce. And they teach man-made ideas as commandments from God, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. They were putting these practices that meant nothing to God. God didn't ask them to, to say, he's like, don't, oh yeah, you need to cleanse yourself before you walk into the temple. I mean, yes, it'd be nice if all of us showered before we came into this building, but God didn't ask us to do those things. They had put those things above God doing the actual act and the work of the Father. When we're doing the work of the Father, they would have knelt down and helped this man. They would have said, doesn't matter if I have to re-cleanse myself, whatever. Doesn't matter. This person is hurting. They were actively being disobedient to the word of God. Which leads us, they didn't live in the word of God. The Levite would have known the word of God, yet he too crossed the road to avoid the man. Both of them actively went on their way and they didn't stop. Jesus, he calls out these traditions and practices that the Pharisees had put above the word of God, but God asked us not to do these things. They are man-made practices. The priest was more worried about these traditions and, than man-made things than actually doing what God called us to do. If he truly loved God, which is what that first part of the commandment says, it says to love God, if he knew God, then he wouldn't have blinked an eye at a chance to help his neighbor. He was not loving this man as he loved himself. He was putting himself above, I'm going to even say above God. And, and, and God, like God is down below him. Like he's above God because he can't even stop to help who God's called him to do. Finally, the third person, the Samaritan. And like I said, this person was bred. They were bred to hate each other. Every, probably every conversation at the table was like, did you see that Jew? They're so mean, blah, blah, blah. And the same with the Samaritans, like at a Jewish table. It's probably like, man, the Samaritans, they bothered me today. They got in my way. And just literally, they hated each other. The scripture says that when he saw the man, he had compassion for him. Compassion called him to do something, to put his own life at risk. Because again, this road their robbers aren't probably gone. They're probably like, that's my first you know, hit of the day. I'm going to keep going back and, and getting robbing more people. So they didn't just leave. He was putting his own life at risk to stop. He soothed the man's wounds. He bandaged him up. And then he picked him up and put him on his donkey. So not only did he help him, he, like I said, he cleaned, he cleaned his wounds right there with oil and wine. And then he put him on his donkey, which would require the Samaritan to walk. Also, he offered to pay for the rest of the care of him to stay in the inn. Man, as, oh, sorry. as you can see, this wasn't cheap or easy to do. It required work from the Samaritan. Back then, oil and wine were not cheap. And to use it to clean a Jewish man who he's supposed to hate, um, to clean his wounds was 
with such a gift of grace. Not only that, but since he put the Jewish man, like I said, on the donkey, it was requiring him to walk. It was more work, like he was going to be tired. But the Samaritan sacrificed his hard-earned money to pay for that man to rest and get better in that end. And the closing of the parable brings forth the question, who is our neighbor? It's every single person you encounter. It's every face you walk past. Your neighbor isn't just the people who are already in this room that you like or who are you're serving alongside. It's the person that you're frustrated with. It's the person you hate. It's your enemy. It's the person you think is your enemy. Like I said, it's every single person on this planet. And God, he is calling us first uh, you know, that's the reason why I feel like it was important to go back to that part of the parable before that um, brings us into the story of the Good Samaritan, is that first, the commandment says to love God, to put first, um, put him first in everything in ourselves, to put him first with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. He wants us to know him above, um, know him and love him above anybody else, and to have a foundational relationship with him, to be obedient to his word and his commandments. We can't love others if we don't love the Father. We can't see pain until we understand, understand the pain that Jesus endured for us. We don't understand sacrifice until we really have that moment where we understand the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross for you and you and you, for not for his sins, for our sins, for our wrongs, for everybody's sin. He paid that for every single person. We can't know the love for anyone beyond ourselves until we love, until we know the love, love, sorry, the love that the Father has for us. The fact that he knew you and you and I would sin again and again, and yet he still went to the cross. He paid it. He knew we would fail time and time again. Yet he still sent his son to die on that cross for us, to pay that price so that only through him we could know absolute love of the Father and have eternal life. The second thing that God is calling us to do, only after we do that first thing, you have to do that first, can you love your neighbor as yourself. We can have compassion for those around us and to be led by the Father to love those around us. I'm telling you right now, if you're not doing that first thing, if you've not made that, if you haven't had that moment with Jesus where you had that, just that light bulb click where it's like, Jesus, you paid it for me. You're not doing the second thing. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. The priest and the Levite weren't doing the first. If they had, they would have stopped. They were focused on their selfish intents. And when we began this year in this church, we said, all, take all of the gospel to all of the people. This means we have to know the word of God, the gospel, and have it in our own hearts. That he have the word have made that crossover to know him as our Lord and Savior and step away from just being a follower of Jesus and make a full commitment to knowing him. So what does that take? 
I'm going to be transparent. <laughs> I struggled to write this message. I wanted to focus on the other men and what they didn't do and not, and, um, and not really talk about what this parable actually just means, the simplicity of it. I had a real convicting moment when I realized I didn't, I couldn't even write a single word of it until I'd reached out to that person. There was somebody that I was avoiding, and I could not, like I said, I could not write a single word until I, I'm, I reached out to this person and done, been obedient to what God had called me to. Because last year, in 2021, God had placed this person in my heart to love them. At the time, I was upset with this person. They had done some things that had deeply wounded me. <laughs> and I was allowing that to lead me. People aren't perfect. They fail, and sometimes they reject us, let us down, and wound us. It's going to happen. God isn't calling us to change or to fix or to be the Savior for these people. He's calling us to love them, to have compassion for his creation, to create a space and an opportunity daily for each and every one of us to know him deeper, to have compassion for those around us just as he did for us. The parable is about loving God's people, and that requires, one, understanding I can't, he can. I deserve nothing but only by grace and love from the Father can I have eternal life. Two, that we love our enemies as well as we love our neighbors. That person that you think is your enemy is not your enemy. We are fighting a daily battle against spiritual principalities. Sin and the devil hate him, but every man on this earth deserves a second chance to know the Father. We all fall short. And three, that we pray for them daily. When was the last time you prayed for that person who you saw as your enemy? When was the last time you just took a moment to pray for that person that wounded you, that God would just encounter them? I'm going to invite the worship team back up. and This is the hard part about being a disciple of Christ. It requires hard work. It requires time, grace, and love. Compassion means to suffer together. It's defined as the feelings that arise when you, can't con when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. The words I hear God saying this morning is that we got to get real and honest with ourselves. Are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? As the worship team begins to, um, to lead us in this ending song, um, we've repeated this song for the last three weeks, um, and hopefully by now you're a little bit familiar with it or you know it, but there's a line in the chorus that says, and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I just wanna stop on that line and lead me in your love, Father. Not in my own love, my love has a limit. My love stops, but when I know the Father and I know his heart, 
His love is endless and it never runs dry. It is always there. It is persistent. It's pursuing. It does not give up. It doesn't require anything from us because if we're honest, we don't have anything to give Him. So when we sing that part, really listen to the voice of the Father for that one person that you know, that one person that God is calling you to love. You already know them. Just like I did that day in, in council, God told me and I knew who that person was. It's not some brand new person, it's that one person. And pray for them. Pray that God would lead you to love them the way he's called you to love. That, you, that they would just feel so surrounded by the Father in an embrace, because we all need that. <laughs> Pray that God challenges you to love that person even when it's hard, even when they've hurt you, even though they've rejected you. Let me tell you something. They've not rejected you. They've rejected him. And if he can say, I love them still, through all of the rejection, so can you, so can I, so can we. So as they lead this last song, um, I'm gonna come back and pray after, but just begin to think about that person. We know this song, sing it, and just let God's words sink in this morning. 